Holy, holy, holy. Picture with me God's throne room. We're going to use one of the high points of Scripture, Isaiah 6, to get us in the right mindset of what God's throne room is like. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 6, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted. Isaiah has a vision. With the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, these are angels, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The worship was so intense that verse 4 says, the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out. The temple was shaking. The throne room was shaking. And while the temple was filling with smoke, holy, holy, holy. My Old Testament professor, Daniel Block, says in the ancient Near East, when this was written, Isaiah was written, the kings needed to give special permission to be approached. Not everyone could come into the presence of the king. You needed special permission to come to be in the presence of the king. And if you came unannounced or without the proper welcome, it could mean death. Similar to the story of Esther, for those of us who know who Esther, we can't just come into the presence of the king unannounced. We need special permission. This is an incredibly rare and unique access that kings gave to people. And today, the, the topic that we're going to be preaching on is prayer. Prayer is the fourth discipleship essential that we've identified at Acts 2.42. And prayer, in essence, is entering into this scene, into this scene where God is sitting on the throne and we get special access to him as sons and daughters. So today our Lord teaches the disciples how to pray, how to engage in a worthy manner. So we'll be at a Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, 1 through 4 today. Jesus Christ teaches his disciples. He's, he was often discipling them. And as they did life together, just like as we do life together with one another, the disciples had opportunities to ask questions. So please rise. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 11. Please rise, and I'll be reading out the NASB version. We rise to honor God's word. We rise to honor God's word. If you're able to, that is, please rise. Luke 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John also taught his disciples. Verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your holy word. I pray your spirit will allow me to preach your word faithfully. And I pray your spirit will treasure your word into our hearts so that we will love you more. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The disciples journeyed with Jesus for three years in an intimate way. They were friends with Jesus. They were able to see Jesus in his purest form, how he did life. As we get to know our friends and our family members, as we see them in the regular moments of life, to even highlighted moments of life, you get to see the scenes that happen in between. And the disciples were able to see Jesus Christ in his purest constantly. And one of the things that they were able to witness was Jesus' praying life. Praying life. And this is one of the things that will convict all of us, I'm sure. Many of us have public ministries. For example, teaching and preaching is very public. Even serving as an usher is public. Serving in the children's ministry, it's public. So people could see that. Therefore, there's an extra motivation for teachers and preachers to come ready. Right? There's extra motivations to serve and to be on time and be ready to go. But prayer is private oftentimes. Prayer is really who you are before the Lord. Where there's other motivations perhaps to serve. That's the constant temptation. The more public the ministry, the more you're praying, Lord, guard my heart from sin. Help me to have the right motives to serve you in this way. But prayer... Oftentimes, it's by yourself in the Lord. You may gather a few people, but prayer is who you are before the Lord. And they saw that Jesus just simply prayed. This was his normal way of life. This wasn't a show. This was like, okay, let's a formal thing. Let's pray. Jesus was constantly praying to the Father. He prayed at every crisis point. Some of the scriptures documents this for us to see. And he was utterly dependent upon the Father. Just like breathing air, Jesus needed to pray. Jesus needed to talk to the Father. And the G- Jesus and the Father sh- shared a unique oneness that the disciples could see. I mean, Jesus would say in the Gospels, I can do nothing unless I see the Father doing it. He said that the Father loves the Son. He said, I seek to do the will of the Father. I came to do the will of the Father. Jesus said, I speak what the Father speaks. Jesus said, I desire to glorify the Father. Jesus was all about the Father. And the disciples could see, it's like, wow, our Lord has a special connection that we've never seen before with God the Father. And look what they ask. Therefore, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I want some of this. I want to be closer to the Father. And there's something about prayer that unites us to the Father. So teach us how to pray. Prayer simply means to speak to God, perhaps even to make requests to God. In other words, the disciples are saying, teach us how to talk to God. What a request. What a request and what a special access the disciples had with our Lord. So today, we're not going to be looking for a formula of prayer, meaning A plus B equals C for you math people. You know, this is not some kind of a formula. If I do check, 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 this is a good prayer. This is not a formula, but more, uh, more about how to build a relationship with the Father or with God through prayer. And Jesus gives us a skeleton or perhaps a framework 
that reflects the heart of God in our prayer life. Okay, so I'm just going to give you some of the, the, the five points. Um, i got five points, so I'm going to touch on these somewhat lightly, but we'll get to the essence of what we're preaching on. So prayer is a discipleship essential because, that's the, that's the thesis, prayer is a discipleship essential. Hopefully by the end of the sermon, you can see, yes, I can see why uh, prayer is a discipleship essential. Because prayer builds our relationship with the Father, if you want to write it ahead of time. Builds our respect for the Father. Prayer builds our role from the Father. Role, R-O-L-E. Prayer builds our reliance upon the Father. And fifthly, prayer builds our resemblance to the Father, to the Father. So let's look at verse 2 here of chapter 11. Jesus says, They ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and he said to them, When you pray, say, and he starts off with, Father, Father. He establishes a personal relationship with God immediately. Pray as if God is your Father. And Jesus invites the disciples into this intimate, paternal relationship with God. So the first point is, is prayer is a discipleship essential because prayer builds our relationship, fill in the blank, relationship with the Father. The essence of prayer is about relationship. This is about relationship with God. This is how you talk to God. Think about it. Who is your best friend on the face of the planet? I'm talking about a human here. Hopefully we all say Jesus Christ, but what human is your, is your best friend on earth? If you tell me, well, last time I talked to him was about four years ago, and uh, I, got a e- I got an email from him, and, and, and uh, I'm not sure he's your best friend. You may share some fond memories with him from childhood. Perhaps you share some common affections. Maybe you had shared some special moments together. But how you communicate to somebody is going to tell you the type of relationship that you have with them. Right? So this is, prayer is simply about relationship with the Father. And we get to enter into the throne room as sons and daughters. Can you imagine that? This is not master to slave, king to subject, although he is our Lord, although he is our king, but we get to come to him as sons and daughters. This is special. This is unique. Think about that scene that I just read for us in, out of Isaiah 6. We have these incredible angelic beings, six wings, worshiping with such intensity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, that the temple was shaking. That's intensity now. Smoke was filling the throne room. And we get to enter into this as sons and daughters. And the Lord was sitting there on his throne, lofty and exalted. And this is quite unique to Christianity, to this concept that God is our Father. This is very unique. Many religions like Hinduism see God as some kind of an impersonal power or force. Right? They believe everything has kind of a God force in it. This, this stone here has some kind of a God force in it. My Muslim friends will say Allah is, is God. And Allah, according to the Quran, is an all-powerful being who created all things, but n- nothing resembling a father. Different. Even the Jews were completely offended by Christ when he said, the Father and I. Right? They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Fatherhood of 
God is very unique to Christianity. This is very unique. And Jesus opens up the access to God as Father in an unhindered relationship. We could go to him at all times. It's an invitation to be part of the eternal love relationship that he shares with the Father. To say, God is my Father, that, that, that just was a completely unique thing. That's, that must have captured the uh, disciples' mind. And I thought about it. How would the disciples handle that? What? Father? And in that time, the Greco-Roman world, this, this is what the fathers were like in general. I'm sure this is a generality, and there may be some exceptions, but fathers had unlimited power over their children. The fathers could choose if a son or daughter is born to them, that they're, whether they're going to be part of the family or not. It wasn't just a given. The father had to choose, yes, he or she is going to be my son. Fathers could sell off their children off to, into slavery even. Fathers could leave their children left to die. And there's no penalty, no recourse. That was the right of the father. Even adult children were thrown under the control of their fathers. So it's a lot of power, a lot of rule, a lot of authority. So the relationship could be very cold. Today, fathers, fatherhood. Fatherlessness is a huge problem in our nation. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, over 18 million children live in a home without a father, biological or different type of father. No man is in the home. Over 18 million, 25% of the children in America. In my old coaching life, this is very common. Not many fathers around at times for our players. And perhaps even if they're there, millions of fathers may be emotionally disconnected to their children. So when I say fathers, how does that hit us? Many of us have different experience with our fathers. Some good, some bad, and somewhere in the middle. I understand that. This is a broken world, and none of us have had perfect human fathers and some of us, maybe even if our fathers around, had little to no meaningful access or interaction with our fathers. Therefore, when I say father, when the Bible says father, it could conjure up different feelings or meanings for all of us. So we really need to define what does God mean when he says he's our father, okay? I can't define everything for us, but here's what we're trying to get out here. God the Father has a deep love for us. Deep love for his people. God loves all men. He loves the world, the Bible says, but God the Father has a special and unique love for his children. We understand this as if we're parents here. We understand we, we love everyone. We try to love everyone, but our own children? That's a whole different level of inten- uh, intimacy and intensity there. How did he love us so much? Well, first of all, he sent his only son to rescue his children, you and me. He sent his only son to die for you and me. He initiated the relationship. God the Father loves us so much that he came after us and gave up the closest relationship that he had for you and me. Number two, as Romans 8 uh, 15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoptions, 
as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Not only that, he came and adopted you and me. We've had certain families in our families who are committed to adopting children. What, a, what an incredible act of godliness. There was an intentional choice by the parents to choose that we're going to adopt you. It doesn't work the other way around. In, in adoption, the parents come and adopt children. This is what God the Father did for you and me who are in Christ. He came and handpicked you and me to be adopted as sons and daughters where we cry, Abba, Papa, Father. This is a close relationship. This is not a cold, distant relationship. Thirdly, let me turn to Galatians 4. This is good. This was taking me to deeper, deeper into the Father's love this week. Galatians 4, 6 says this, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He sent the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to be in us. It all started with the Father. In verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave coming to the throne of grace, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Father's love for us is deep. We really need to understand and reprogram how we see fathers. We cannot put our own earthly fathers and put that on our heavenly Father. And to extend grace, no fathers are perfect. I'm not perfect. We do our best. But God the Father is perfect. He initiated all of this for you and me who are in Christ. I remember when we first had children and when they were young, how the children would communicate to us when they're born was what? Through crying. Right? If, if, if they wanted something, they cried. And that's all they could do. And we loved them, and all right, what do they need? And as they got older, maybe 8 to 12 months, parents, do you remember this? <laughs> they started doing sign language more. Do you remember that? Or all done? Do you remember that? you guys remember that? Um, these are the things that they did to communicate. And eventually, they learned words. And they started talking baby talk. It was cute. They could kind of communicate, my moms, and things like that, Right? They could understand this. And so as parents, we're like, all right, great. I know what they're saying. I know how to meet their needs. It's pretty neat. We're similar in, those, in that way. No matter how old we are, we're like spiritual babies before God. You know, we're children of God, but we're like babies because we're coming out of a sinful world. We're coming from a sinful place. And God is working that in us to mature us and so that we could speak to him more clearly. Just like parents, we want our children to come to us genuinely. The Father wants us to come to Him genuinely. This is critical. We don't want to put on some kind of act or some kind of show. God the Father wants us to come to Him genuinely and to tell Him what's on our heart. And so if prayer is about building a relationship with our Father, our our God, these next points our Lord tells us through His Word what's on the Father's heart. So we can mature in the way we talk to him. This is critical that we understand this. He is father, but Jesus gives us what's on the, on the heart of the father and how to talk to him. The word and prayer go hand in hand. All prayer is not good. All word is not good. You need both word and prayer because the word, the Bible informs us how to pray to the father. And the more we mature in our communication with the father, the more 
our relationship will mature with the Father. Okay, so, and, and we just spent a lot of time talking about the affection that we have with God the Father. Now, the Lord puts a balance to it here now. And in this first, next point here, he, he reveals more on, on, on what's on the Father's heart. Point number two, prayer builds our respect, our respect for the Father. Healthy father-child relationships all have a respect for the father. We understand this. this is, if there's no respect to your father, that's really not a healthy relationship. Verse 2 says this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your name, in essence, it represents all of who God is. Your name is synonymous to God's character or nature. So when you say your name, when Jesus says your name, let's talk about hallowed be your name. The hallowed be who you are, Lord. And so hallowed, in essence, hagiazo in the original language means to be set apart, to made be holy, to have reverence. In other words, God the Father desires for his name to be lifted up. The Father's reputation to be lifted up. This is this matters to the Father. And this is to be our motivation as we pray and as we do anything, really. I'm going to go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, 3 says this, a seraphim worshiped, holy, holy, holy. And this is a unique combination where there's a three times emphasis here. And this is the only place in scripture where the same word is described to is used to describe God. In other words, the Bible doesn't say God is love, love, love. God is wrath, 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 or God is powerful, powerful, powerful. This is the one unique time. God is holy, holy, holy. That means God is completely holy, completely set apart, distinct from all creation. And holiness of God is not just another attribute. Let me just read you this uh, quote by R.L. Dabney, a theologian. R.L. Dabney says, His holiness, therefore, is to be regarded not as a distinct attribute of God, but as the resultant of all God's moral attributes together. His love, His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His wrath, all of that combined make up His holiness. His holiness is the collective and consummate glory of His nature as an infinite, morally pure, active, and intelligent spirit. So when we say God is holy... We're putting all of what we know about God in one bag, one word. God is holy. God is holy. And so when the Lord says to that, hallowed be your name, it just fits who God is. God's name needs to be hallowed. So as children, we desire for God's name to be hallowed, to be lifted up. As disciples, our desire is to see the Father high and lifted up. This is our life's dream and goal. And passion. Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We live for God's glory. This is why we exist. As children of God, we desire to see God lifted up. Here's an example to perhaps me test some of us. How does it feel? How does it feel when people take God's name in vain? It could be at school. It could be at the workplace. It could be the guy you're working out with. It could be 
I don't know, a TV show that you watch, some music, pop music that you listen to. Do you feel an ire within you? Do you feel like a physical reaction in your pit of your stomach that he goes like, well, that's not right? Actually, I'm kind of worried for you. You shouldn't speak that way. Or is it kind of like, well, this is just how it is. I don't think we should ever get used to that. I don't think we should ever feel comfortable with that. With non-believers, we should expect it. They don't know any better. But if we hear it with professing believers, which I sometimes did, we should be shocked. We should be shocked. The Father's heart is to be respected as the Holy God. As we come to the Father, we respect Him as the one and only Holy God. This is on the heart of the Father, respect. And any fathers in this room, human fathers, we understand that feeling. That is the one area that might set off a father if he feels disrespected. Because that is like cuts to the core of our role God-given role as fathers. And, the heavenly, and our Heavenly Father is no different. And since we respect the Father, we care about His work. Jesus in Luke 2.49 says, I am about my Father's business. Do you remember that when He's in the temple? I am about my Father's business. And as we mature, we understand what our Father is all about. So point number three, prayer builds our role. R-O-L-E, role from the Father. And in our prayer life, as we approach the Father, do we pray for His plans to be fulfilled? In, in verse 2, again, it says, Your kingdom come. Matthew 6.10, a parallel passage, perhaps, says, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, do we pray that God's rule and reign takes over the planet? takes over people's lives. In essence, we pray that the Lord will continue to build his church globally, universally, but also locally here at Evergreen Church. Are we praying for this? That God, build up your kingdom. Build up your kingdom. I pray that more people will come to know you as Lord and Savior. Do we pray this? This is on the heart of the Father. Many of us should know this, but we all should know this. There's only really two kingdoms. There's many nations and globally, but there's only two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven right, and the kingdom of hell. There's only two kingdoms. You may be thinking to yourself, does prayer even help? I mean, it can be discouraging to see what's happening today. Pastor Ron prayed during his intercessory prayer time for our world. Seems like the kingdom of hell is advancing, right? Doesn't it feel that way? And I think today evil is way more obvious than it used to be. Evil is always there. The kingdom of hell has always been there, but it's been cloaked. It's been hidden more. Now it's just, it's just uh, blatant and evil is flaunted. Ungodly governmental directions promoting the agenda of hell. I mean, you see this everywhere. You see this everywhere. So you might be thinking again, does prayer even help, Pastor? Does this even help? Just seeing what's happening around the world could develop a disdain in our hearts for the world, right? I hear people wanting to flee the state, right? And, and uh, 
wanting to live in a holy huddle, you know, with like-minded people, then I can understand that. I can understand wanting to live with people who are like-minded and have a community who's like-minded. I can understand that. And this is why we love the local church. It's good to have a holy huddle. Evergreen Church is a holy huddle. Or like-minded people come together and gather together. That's why corporate worship is so important. Weekly, we come together as a family. We get in a holy huddle. This is a good thing. And certainly the values of the world should disgust us and bother us. Okay, what's being pushed, it should bother us. It shouldn't be not a big deal. It is a big deal. But we are not to disdain the people in the world. (laughs) That's the issue. They are the mission field. I think it's an incredible opportunity right now. What an amazing opportunity to be living in the the history of this planet right now as Christians. Opportunities are huge. So as a church, we need to say, ready, break. And break the huddle and go execute the play. Yes, we need to come into a holy holy huddle, but ready, break. Once Once service is over, once the week starts, we're back at it. The people are the mission field. Whether it's at your jujitsu place, whether it's your sports teams, whether it's your school, wherever you go, whether you're even in high school, the people are the mission field. So the heart of the Father, what does he desire to hear from us? Are we praying for the lost? Are we praying for evangelistic opportunities? Are we praying for lost, our lost leaders as Pastor Ron did? Are we praying for lost relatives and co-workers and neighbors? Are we praying for these things? Are we praying for the church? Are we praying for the holiness of Evergreen Church? Are we praying for the word of God to be flowing everywhere in Evergreen Church? Are we praying for people to repent of their sins? This is on the heart of the Father. That's, this is where your kingdom come, your will be done in the hearts of the people. Are we praying, in essence, for the Great Commission, for the Great Commission to be fulfilled? Right? Discipleship. That's why, we're, that's why discipleship is the central theme of the church. Not this, just church, this church only, but all churches. And it's exciting for me as a pastor uh, to see what's happening. The Word is flowing. At the 9 o'clock hour, the Word is flowing. The Word is being taught faithfully in my class that I'm sitting in on and other classes. The word is coming out of our pulpit. We're having scripture reading done here. We're singing the word of Christ. It's happening. It's happening. It's pretty exciting to see that. These are the things that are in the heart of the Father when Jesus says, your kingdom come. Growing up as a boy, uh, I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley here, and to immigrant parents, uh, and I, didn't not, I did not quite understand how hard it was to earn a living. To kids, you don't quite understand either right now. My parents worked all the time. Six or seven days a week they'd be working, and my mom was, was constantly saving, you know, the coupons and all that stuff, and talking about not wasting anything constantly. I said, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal, right? I'm, what did I know? I was just a kid. My mom would say to me, you will understand someday. She would tell me that. She goes, you don't get it. You'll understand someday. 
now that we're trying to raise our family here, I understand more what she meant. And I don't think I had it quite like them, but I understand more the pressures, intensity, and the level of work that it takes to provide for a family and how much I relied on my parents. So point number four, prayer builds our reliance, reliance upon the Father. Verse three, our Lord says, pray like this, give us each day our daily bread. He's talking about our daily basic needs, our physical and material needs, food, water, the air that we breathe, clothes that we wear, college tuition, our mortgage. Lord, please provide. Please provide. And the Father's heart is to acknowledge Him that everything that we enjoy comes from Him. 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God, this is the Father, is able to make all grace abound to you, physical blessings, physical needs, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, so that we have everything that we would ever need, and then some. And you, and you may have an abundance for every good deed. He is the one that provides. That's on the heart of the Father that we actually acknowledge him in this and that we were dependent, utterly dependent upon him. Like, look at the Lord. Completely dependent upon the Father. The heart of the Father is that we would acknowledge this. The danger is this. As I've gotten older and the Lord has allowed me to accomplish some things, and perhaps you could think this for yourself too. Perhaps you've got a part-time job now. Perhaps you have a full-time job now. Perhaps you're advancing in your career. Perhaps you just bought your first home. Perhaps you bought your second home. Perhaps you got some rental property, some good stuff like that. All great things. But the danger is this. As we get older and we start doing more things, is to think that we're the source of all this. That's the danger particularly for those of us who live in our nation. For others around the world, it's literally, please give us some daily bread. Please, Lord, want to eat. Yes, we have to work hard, and that's important. Yes. But it's all from the Father. The Lord has providentially set us all up, wherever we're at, to be where we're at in terms of our physical needs. And he continues to provide for our needs. But as we learn through COVID, things could change on a dime, could it not? I think those reminders are good for us to remember, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not trust in our stocks and our bank account. And praying for our daily needs is a mechanism, I believe, that God gives us, Jesus teaches us, to keep us grateful, to keep us grounded, to keep us humble. To keep us like children who are absolutely dependent upon their fathers and mothers. To recognize our father's care. It's critical that we do this. So the more success that any of us is able to experience, more prayer, more prayer, more thanksgiving. We need to do this. Because if you're hurting, you're going to be driven to prayer. It's just going to happen if you're a Christian. But if you have everything you need... It's a double-edged sword. You have everything you need, but all of a sudden you start thinking this about yourself. You're headed for a difficult road there. 
I remember going to Japan a couple years ago and uh, to my dad's hometown. I was full in the countryside, coastal Wakayama. That's where he's from, a little country place uh, right by the ocean. And my relatives were saying, oh, you look like your dad. You look like your dad. And I do look like him. And uh, not only do I look like him, I think like him too. I mean, he is the hardest worker that I know. He is a tremendous worker, and therefore I value hard work. He loves sports. I love sports. He has, a, beneath all that hard work and perseverance, he does have a soft spot in his heart for people. You know, he, he has a compassionate side to him. Not perfect, but he's a compassionate side to him. And children do act like their parents, like it or not. If you biologically relate to your parents, you, you, you kind of look like them, perhaps. But you know, if you're not biologically connected, you're going to start acting like your parents because your parents are going to rub off on you. That's where you get the term to chip off the old block, right? So fifth point is this. Prayer builds a resemblance to the Father. Resemblance. You start looking like the Father the more you pray. And in verse 4 here, forgiveness and holiness is the issue. Let me read verse 4. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Forgiveness and holiness are the issue that are on the Father's heart. Forgive us. This is, this is why this prayer really shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus never asked for forgiveness. He's teaching the disciples how to pray. Perhaps this is the disciples' prayer. And basically, confessing our sins is basically agreeing with the Father. Yes, you're right. Right? So children, if your parents see you doing something and he goes, did you do this? Just say, yes, you're right. I did it. Now, obviously, if you didn't, you speak the truth. You're basically agreeing with the Father. Yeah, you're right. I am being prideful. You're right. I am being lustful. You're right. I'm being arrogant. You're right. I'm being mean. You're right. I'm being greedy. Whatever that issue is. And this is a familial forgiveness. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is not, oh, I sinned, therefore I need to confess my sins so that I could be a son or daughter again. Once you're a son, once you've been adopted as a son or daughter, you're in the family. But this type of confession restores the joy of salvation. As Takeshi read out of Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, David prayed. Please, I want to experience that intimacy again with you, Father. Psalm 32, the psalmist says, Your hand was heavy upon me as I harbored my sin. Right? We want to feel the intimacy with the Father. This is why Jesus says, Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. And he goes on to say in verse 4, Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us or sinned against us. We ourselves also forgive everyone. The fruit of experiencing the Father's forgiveness is that we have this immense sense of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. I don't deserve this. I don't know why you adopted me, but you did. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And therefore leads us to forgiving others who sinned against us. I heard this said, and I'm not sure if this is a direct quote, but it's been seared into my memory, is that we resemble the Father the most when we forgive. You want to look like the Father? Forgive others. We resemble the Father the most when we forgive. 
Can we remember that? The act of forgiving others is divine. Releasing others of their moral obligation is owning the Father's heart. That's what the Father did for you and me who are in Christ. If it's hard to forgive, you think about that person, I go, man, I don't know if I could forgive. Just remember, forgiving someone is impossible without God. This is a divine thing, okay? This is, this is a supernatural thing that our Lord is calling us to do. Therefore, what's on the Father's heart? That we pray to him as children. I say, Father, I know you want me to forgive her, but I don't want to. Please give me the ability to forgive, right? Isn't that what we would all want to hear as parents? A, a submission, but an honest struggle in it. And trust that the Lord will give you the Father's heart to forgive. And in verse 4, finishes up like this. And lead us not into temptation. The potential is around all of us to sin. Doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian. Doesn't matter how mature we are. Doesn't matter how, how young or old we are. We need the Father's power. We need, we need to be humble and dependent upon Him to stay in the right place. This is a moment by moment, thought by thought, word by word moment. It's, a, it's constant. It's like you're living your life with, as if each tick of, of, of this moment is a potential to sin. And here's some encouragement here, and, and perhaps this is great. This came up in our Sunday school hour here in my Genesis class, but 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Let him who thinks he stands, like, there's no way I'm going to sin. Take heed that he does not fall. Be warned, be alert that you could stumble. And then verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. The Father is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. The Father will give you a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Now it's interesting here, this word temptation is uh, Perasmos and um, Perasmos in, J- in James. This is another famous verse I want to cross-reference with us here, just, to, just so we understand this word a little bit better in the original language. James 1, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials or temptations. The translator in James made it trials, but temptation is the, really the, it's the same word in the Greek. Perasmos. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, how, how, do we, how are we supposed to pray now? I want us to get into this mind now of how to pray when we're going through temptations or trials. Temptations are meant to cause us to sin. Trials are meant to build us up, to edify us. So whatever your response, it's either a temptation or a trial. If you sin, it was a temptation. If you're able to withstand it and grow from it, it's a trial. So in our prayer life, the Father, how do we engage with these temptations or trials? It all depends on our response. Lord, I pray this will be a trial and not a temptation. We're all afflicted with thoughts and all kinds of things that are thrown our way. This is the Christian life. 
pray, Father, let this be a trial so that I could grow in my sanctification and love and trust in you, Lord. Father, let this not be a temptation. I do not want to stumble. I do not want to sin against you or my fellow man. It's like saying this, Father, stay close to me, will you? Father, let me hold your hand, will you let me? I don't want to fall. This is the type of dependence that God the Father desires from us, no matter how young or old we are. Father, let me hold your hand. We're going down the steps and it's steep. I need you, Father. And the more we cry out to him and hold his hand in prayer, the more we're able to feel the Father's hands, the Father's hands are loving but they're also strong. They're also strong. I know you could pull this off, Father. So the Father absolutely cares about our holiness. The Father is holy, 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 holy. Since we're his children, we're called to be holy. This is on the Father's heart. We need to resemble him. We need to resemble him. And to finish up here, this is a foundational teaching now. You can see why this is absolutely a critical aspect of our Christian life. We need to grow in prayer. We'll have a praying life class, God willing, next semester or next quarter through our equipping uh, uh, phase. So if you're interested in growing in prayer, we all need to grow in prayer. What a great class that would be to take and to sit under for a quarter. Prayer is a discipleship essential. Absolutely essential. And the more we pray according to the Father's words, it's just not just praying now. It's praying according to the framework, the skeleton that Jesus Christ has given us. The more we pray this way according to his word, the more we come into alignment with the Father's heart. That's the key, right? We want to look like the Father. We want to think like the Father. We want to speak like the Father. We want to act like the Father. We want to resemble the Father. And the more we pray like this, the more this becomes a normal pattern of our lives, we'll get built up in our relationship with the Father. And the more... We pray like this and let this be a normal part of our living. The more we will know how deep the Father's love for us is. So we could go to him as Father, as Father, as Abba, as Papa. Isn't this amazing truth? <laughs> Isn't the Bible so amazing? You can mind these eternal divine truths in these four little verses. Amazing. And not only did Jesus Christ, our Lord, our foundations, the one we love, the one we want to become like, teach the disciples 2,000 years ago, he's preaching to us today through his word. Luke 11, 1 through 4, prayer is a discipleship essential. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your special word to us today, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you are our Father. Thank you, Father, that you give direct access to us. Thank you that you're the one sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. Hallowed be your name. We pray, Lord, that your reputation will grow on the face of this earth, that your fame will grow.
It won't be about us, but about be your name. Father, we pray your church we built up around the world, but also here at Evergreen Church. Continue to build your church. Jesus, you said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades cannot stand against it. We pray this will continue to happen, and you allow us to see this happening so we could rejoice with you. Father, thank you for caring for our daily needs. Father, it's from your hand that we eat. It's through your hand that we drink. It's the covering that you give us that we have covering. Thank you, Lord. Father, it's a constant tension in our hearts. We want to be true to you. We want to be children who look like you, holy. I pray, Lord, that we would be quick to repent of our sins and we could come to you as a loving, gracious Father who will hold us and say, it's going to be okay. I've already paid for your sins on the cross. Father, I pray for anyone that you bring to mind that we need to forgive, that we would forgive them before you. We want to be like you, Father. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you continue to hold our hands as we walk through this life. It's treacherous. It's nasty. It's hard. Help us to walk with you. Father, you're a good father. Thank you for how deep your love is for us. In Jesus' name, amen.